Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome to our special episode. Occasionally we do some special episodes where we're not going to talk about a specific album or artist, but we're going to keep it a little bit more broad and usually kind of spread the love a little bit more than just uh, one specific artist. So uh, buckle up. This will be a fun episode. So this episode is titled, How Has Your Music Taste Changed? And I'm genuinely super excited for this episode uh peel back the curtain just a second here um we have planned this episode separately as we usually do and neither of us actually have any clue what the other person has planned so it'll be really fun because we'll be hearing these and able to respond to everything we're talking about in real time but nate how about you peel back the curtain a little bit more Tell our listeners what made us decide to do this. Uh, this was your idea, so tell uh, the listeners why you came up with this idea and what we hope to accomplish on this uh, episode and anything else that you feel like is is helpful. Yeah. So, um, for anything else I think is helpful, usually after you do a number two, it's like really good to wipe. Um. So after you do a number one, it's good to wipe two, but really important after you do a number two. But outside, that's really all the helpful things that's I can perfect. think of right now. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of what you said about the actual podcast, um, we have like a bunch of questions that we think were interesting to talk about, and one of the big ones was how has your music taste changed? over time over the course of your music listening journey which is essentially your whole life and we're trying to figure out okay what's the best way to do that the best way to have that conversation or the most interesting way to and andrew and i love making lists and so we just said you know what let's pick 10 albums we each have 10 albums and tell the story of how your music listening or how your music taste has developed only for the essentially mainly only using those 10 albums yeah and so we'll obviously mention other artists mention other albums and just these but these are if we had to give you a timeline of where our music taste changed or it was the beginning of a big change these would be the 10 most important points these albums they would be the biggest catalyst and um some of the records might be connect. Obviously, some of the records are going to be connected, but yeah. and it's interesting too. I don't know how Andrew made his list compared to how I made yeah. my list, and so like our approaches might be different or might be similar. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, I I don't even want to like start going over criteria because I don't even know if the criteria is just mine and how sure. I viewed it or if you took criteria. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, I don't think much else needs to be explained. I think yeah. what I would say is, before we get into it, we would love to hear how your music mm-hmm. um, taste has changed over time. I think change is... It feels scary, obviously, but it's often a beautiful thing because 
you didn't know something either existed or you didn't know you enjoyed something until something happens or you listen to something or you taste something or you have a certain experience. And so much of our lives are, I think obviously I'm I'm turning this into like a really big thing when it doesn't have (laughs) to be, but like it's important. We like develop and grow and, don't just stick to the same stuff and so there's there's a message in that somewhere but we don't need to Mm -hmm. go over that today so anyways andrew yeah i want to know genuinely speaking do would you like to go first or would you like to go second because i will gladly go first or second no um how about you go first i feel like a lot of times we go back and forth i don't know you go first i don't actually care but i'm so excited to hear you so i sounds good Uh, only if my wife said that to me once um (laughs) so let me give you then some of my like overall yeah like structure i i try to have it be the chorus of my entire life for the most part so the first album that I have here came out when I was six. Yep. And the last album I have came out when I was... In 2017, I'll put it that way. Okay. The reason why I don't have an album more recently than 2017 yeah. is I think a lot of these albums, I can see exactly the effect they've had. Yep. And for albums that have come out in the past couple of years, I don't exactly quite know yep. how much of an impact it will have or how much it will change the way I listen to music. Because there will be some records that like, totally are different than anything I've ever listened to, yep. but that record will be the only record like it that I'll listen to. And so really it hasn't like changed my music listening. So I think like, for instance, Casey Musgraves, Golden Hour. I absolutely love that album. It's country with a bit, a lot of like like, indie alternative influence, production influence, um, like unique production elements. That album is different than any other album I've listened to, and I love it, and it's awesome. I don't listen to a lot of country now because of yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. Even though it's a different album, it hasn't changed the way I've listened to music that much. It's more been one record in an area that I don't really listen to. So all my records on my list have opened up floodgates of other artists and yes. other records and yes. stuff. So. That's kind of just to give you kind of my process. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last thing I'll say is most influential doesn't mean favorite, obviously. Yes. Um, This is not my top 10 albums of all time. But these are the records that have had the most influence, I think. So I'm going to start with somewhat of a deep cut. I don't know if you've listened to this artist a lot growing up if you listen to this artist a lot okay. my guess is no but i do i am pretty confident you know them and it is the album all right here do you know the artist by just me mentioning the album all right here no by 
Sarah Groves. Oh wow! Yeah, and the no, reason I why listen, I didn't listen to her much, so I was okay. Yeah, that's helpful. <clears throat> so she's a just for those who don't know her, she's like contemporary, uh, like early two thousands, late nineties, like Christian music. Yep. And the reason why this album made my list is for a few things, but the main thing I would say is. My mom, this is like my mom's album. Not that she only has one, but it's one of her albums. And a lot of my love for music has come from her. And it's something I don't often recognize, but something that's like so true that my mom, so my mom's a musician. She's uh, a music teacher as well as a worship leader and has played piano in our piano room for as long as I can remember and not that my mom sounds like Sarah Groves but this record is very piano driven and it just reminds me a lot of growing up in my house with my mom playing the piano and then um, specifically us listening to this record on car rides or whatever and the words themselves on this record being very indicative of my mom and my relationship with my mom. So the second to last song, I think it's the second to last, it might not be, the song on the album is called You Cannot Lose My Love. And that was actually the song that my mom and I had for the uh, mother-son dance at my wedding. And so it's just like it all comes kind of like full circle with that. Um, But yeah, it's just um, it's one of those albums. I don't know how good I think it is because it's so covered by nostalgia. Yes. But I real even to this day, I really enjoy listening to it. It hasn't something it hasn't been a record that. I've like been kind of like ashamed of liking it or whatever, and yeah, um, yeah I think that tells a huge part of the story of why yep. I love music yep. uh, so much. Yep. Keep going. Let's so keep next up, list. this is an album that Andrew would not be surprised would be on it, mm-hmm. and it's can you guess what it is? I know that's like such a Big question. This there's, is there's uh, let me let me give you some hints. Album I'm pretty sure is on the list. Yeah, and so I'm let me give you guess a hint it here. Should right. I guess it? You, I might not need the hint. I'll give you. Do you want well, to give me? The you hint? can. I mean, are you process? Yeah, just go. Just guess. You're gonna have Switchfoot on the list. Yep. So I will have Switchfoot on the list. Um, is it fair to guess that that's here? I mean, if not, it, I don't know it, if it's worth guessing an album. But I'm going to guess the, bl- well, it could be. the beautiful letdown. That is correct. Okay. Good job, Andrew. That, like, Very I thought about this exercise, and I was like, we had talked real quick, but we didn't actually even nail this. But I was like, do we want to guess people's like lists? Like, and if there was one album that I was going to put like as my lock for it, it was going to be this one. Yeah, like I have just and without. I mean, I have, without even thinking till this very moment, your list, I'm like, I have that album for you, like like yeah. that. But I could be wrong. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but yeah, so this record by Switchfoot, so 
is a transition from music being something my mom kind of had and me like taking what she had and this was more my step into independence as a music listener this was the first album i ever owned it wasn't my mom's cd it was mine i picked it out i wanted it and it opened up rock music i mean and to be honest and it's like contemporary like it is a bit of like um acoustic song singer songwriter stuff too a little bit um but a lot of the music i listen to is some form of rock and so this record is really like the foundation of all of that um john foreman um is such a influential vocalist because he showed me that your vocals don't need to uh, sound uh, I don't know how to phrase this like uh, like they're made in a factory like his voice is so unique and so beautiful that it taught me to like value unique voices and not just your standard what like people would quantify as like a good voice mm-hmm. um, like an American Idol type of like superstar yes. yep. um, and then also I think with Sarah Groves for instance like it's not that her music didn't sound like and this is for those who didn't grow up Christian this might be hard to like process but her music fit more of like the Christian music Mm -hmm. sound whereas Switchfoot they were they sounded like any other rock band yes um, during this time and I don't mean that as a as a uh, negative. I mean that yeah. as a positive. They yeah. they kind of even though they were still quote unquote a Christian band, they were doing it in a way that wasn't having Christian be like a genre or a style. It was more just the fact that these four dudes were Christians and they mm-hmm. were in a band. Yep. And so that deeply shaped my uh, music listening. Yep. Um, but the the last thing I'll say with this album is the next this is like really convoluted but I went to a Switchfoot show when I was probably like 8 or 9 and do you know who opened for that show did I tell you this story I think I did but only once I'm gonna guess Reliant K no that's a great guess it was actually Copeland oh wow which is surprising that is and Copeland was on what label Tooth and Nail. Tooth and Nail. And even though Copeland isn't my next artist, unless you want to... Do you want to address Switchfoot at all before I transition? Yeah. The main thing I will say about Switchfoot is... So Nate and I have known each other most of our lives. Like, at least, like, conscious memories most of our lives. Nate grew up in Boston. I grew up near Philly. Like, so we were far enough apart that it's not like we saw each other all the time. But I remember some of my earliest memories with Nate were talking Switchfoot. Um, that band was like, like Nate got so into Switchfoot that his parents got into Switchfoot. Like Nate's love of Switchfoot was very much a cornerstone of what I view as Nate's music journey. And yeah. so that's why I was so sure about that album because 
that was like some of our earliest music talk. Like, I don't actually think we talked about other artists besides Switchfoot. Like, right at the beginning, <laughs> it really was like, you like Switchfoot? I like Switchfoot. Let's talk Switchfoot. And yeah. then I realized, like, oh, I like Switchfoot. Nate loves Switchfoot. Like, there was like a different <laughs> level that Nate was on. But um, that was, I mean, just for me personally with Nate, some of my earliest memories of Nate are talking Switchfoot. And so, like, that album and just that time period in life, like, obviously, like, Nate's one of my close friends now, and, like, we have this podcast where we're talking about music. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. Like, the foundation of that, I feel like, was actually built because of this album. Like, like I don't know. It just feels yeah. that way. So it's very personal um, in, in that uh, in that sense. But that's all I'll say. I want to hear you get to more. That's beautiful. So, uh, Copeland was on Tooth the Nail, and my next two bands actually are mm. both Tooth the Nail bands, mm-hmm. and it kind of feels like, oh, why would you have two bands on the same label? You're kind of limiting your influence here, but both I find to be very different and have had very different effects on my music listening, but. Both artists were on this compilation, which I don't know if this is how I found the artists or not, um, called You Can't Handle the Tooth by Tooth and Nail. So well. And that compilation album, even though it's not one of my albums on this list, because I felt like I didn't really want to do compilations, like I almost did the Remember the Titan soundtrack. um, But that compilation has deeply influenced my music listening as well. But the first Tooth and Nail album I'm going to say or talk about is an album. Of all the albums on my list, it is the album that I have the most confidence is on Andrew's list. Okay. I'm not saying I think it's on Andrew's list. I'm saying of all my albums, it would be the one I guess would be. Okay. Do you have a guess what it is? No, this is tricky. Do you have any Nail. Tooth and Nail records around um, this time? Yeah. I don't want to okay. give anything away though. I'd okay. Really like to keep so we'll, we'll but, keep we'll keep it a secret. Yeah. Maybe Andrew and we'll find out in a short time. Maybe Andrew has their only chasing safety by under oath on his list. Yeah. I do. And this record got me in to a lot of music. Um, Mm -hmm. Switchfoot opened up The Rock, but then Under Oath opened up, like, the Mm post-hardcore, the metalcore, the screamo, the metal, Mm -hmm. um, you name it. All the heavy, like, the really heavy music that I've listened to, uh, their only chasing safety was, like, that first step in that direction. Now... If you listen to their only chasing safety, it's not a heavy record, really. No. In, in the grand scheme of things, yep. Um, there's a lot of singing on it and a little bit of screaming. Yep. But at the time, it was like really heavy. Yeah. And like oh. harsh and yeah. intense. Yep. Um, now I'm like, wow, this is like a catchy pop record. Um, yes. And so this record was extremely influential because. Probably from around 2008 
to 2012, mm-hmm. heavy stuff was my main thing. Yep. And so f- when Beautiful Letdown came out in 2003, I would say 2003 to 2008 was rock. But then 2008 to 2013 was like metal and heavy yep. stuff for the most part. Yep. Um, so it had a huge influence on yes. me. Yes. And again, still in, at the time, Under Oath was considered a Christian band, still in that like yep. Christian world. Yep. Just to note, it, note the patterns here going yes. on. Yep. Only Christian music so far up to this point. Yep. But Andrew, would you like to add to anything, any uh, of we, that? We maybe will talk more later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, the second tooth and nail and the last tooth and nail artist I have on here is by a band that just called it quits officially. Is it now, me without you? Yes, it is me without Sorry, you. Sorry, I, I like... I, they were another band I was pretty sure was going to be on this, but I wouldn't yeah. have known which album to pick because I don't actually know what albums of theirs were influential for you. Yeah, so the record that's most influential for me is what I believe to be their best record, and it just happened to be who I listened to at the time, and it's Brother Sister. Yeah. Um, Brother Sister for me... So they're only chasing safety... It got me into the heavier, the heavy side of things, mm-hmm. but brother sister got me into the weird side of music. Mm-hmm. Just because something's like heavy doesn't mean it's weird. There's some like, like, like I said, they're only chasing safety. It's obviously not a pop record, but it's really clean, like really standard, like really normal. I'm not trying to say it's not unique, but. It's not that big of a... It doesn't feel super weird. Brother Sister, to me, felt super weird at the time. And even though it feels a lot less weird now, the vocals were more like spoken word with some yeah. some singing, some yelling. Um, it was not lyrics, but poetry. And obviously they are lyrics, but... S- the first time I heard like real poetry in, mm-hmm. in music. Um, and then two with that, the first time I heard lyrics that were extremely open-ended while yep. still having a point and being somewhat specific. Yep. Um, I mean, there's me without you lines where, Nobody will ever discover what they mean. And obviously interpretation is subjective. But like he Aaron Weiss is just such an influential and creative and unique uh, lyricist. But everything like without this record, I don't think I get I'm not as willing to like listen to stuff that just sounds weird. And because of it, I think that's really opened that stuff up for me. Mm-hmm. But anything else for you on Me Without You? I know you're so, not a Me Without You fan. I'm not saying you don't like that, yes. but you're not a Me Without You fan. Kevin just became a Me Without You fan recently, <laughs> surprisingly enough. Genuinely, that's where I feel like I'm at in the sense of I feel like when they were around, all my friends were into Me Without You, and I was like, I just couldn't do the spoken word poetry like that was not something I was interested in and as I've gotten older 
I've literally listened to all the bands that were influenced by Me Without You to yeah, do their Lot of Dispute. Lot of Dispute. Like, I love Lot of Dispute. And, like, for, I feel like, a lot of people who listen to Lot of Dispute and even like Lot of Dispute, they're like, Me Without You is better. Um, mm. And I'm sure Lot of Dispute was, like, influenced by Me Without You. Like, I, that whole genre was. So, um, yeah. So, I am trying to take intentional efforts to listen to me without you the most unintentional effort is they're showing up in just shuffle and i am happy about it and i'm not skipping but i still am missing context um and stuff but um yeah yeah, they're they're a band that i wish i could say i was more into and have intentions to but yeah it's uh it's crazy they're just uh Without spending too much time on them, and I'll move on right after this. They are so Switchfoot has a lot of albums that I like in terms of my favorite bands. Switchfoot has a lot mm-hmm. of albums that I like, but Me Without You has been the most consistent band that's had longevity for me. Yeah. Where ever since Catch for Us the Foxes, which is their sophomore record. They haven't had a miss, and every record's been really good. Um, And obviously, very different records. They have not repeated themselves at all. But, um, yeah, I I don't know any other bands for me. Copeland would probably be, like, the second closest for me in terms of consistency. Next up. Uh, so and again, me without you at that time was presented as a Christian band. Yep. Like Under Oath and Me Without You have both distanced themselves from that label, yes. and I would also say the band members have like gone on their own spiritual journeys and yep. wouldn't many wouldn't describe themselves as Christians anymore. Yes. But at the time, still in that Christian world, the next record is not a Christian band. And it was, it's funny because they're like a gateway drug to like quote unquote secular or non Christian music. Mm-hmm. And that would be Mumford and Sons, uh, Sigh No More. Yep. Uh, I think this is a, a pivot for my list where yep. after this, there's only one artist I'm pretty sure that would like identify as a Christian yep. and they would not be accepted by the Christian music yep. world. <laughs> so guess, but. so yeah, so you can figure that one out. Yeah, but, that, that feels somewhat straightforward. There's quite a few <laughs> artists that fit that term, yeah. but knowing you, I think I can guess. Yeah, you I you know who it is. Um but this for me was like a big step, and the because I f- it was the first time I really started to become a fan of a band that wasn't quote unquote Christian. Yep. Now, for them, they their background was in Christianity. Marcus mm-hmm. Mumford, I think his dad and maybe his mom both were pastors, mm-hmm. and um, he obviously has a ton of religious imagery in his lyrics. Mm-hmm. So that's helpful. That was helpful for me. Yeah. Um, but the influence was not just lyrically for me, um, leaving Christianity on a certain level, but the 
influence was um, musically as well. This was my uh, gateway into uh, folk music. Mm-hmm. Before this, I felt like folk and a lot of singer-songwriters, to be honest, that were just acoustic bass, mm-hmm. were boring. Yep. I felt like there is nothing really interesting there. Yep. But uh, this record helped open up my eyes to how uh, complex and dense mm-hmm. what seemingly was simple, it was actually much more complicated and fuller and more beautiful yep. than I thought. Um, and so I also think... So, like, in terms... Probably the next, like, three or four years after this, I got into artists like Fleet Foxes, like Of Monsters and Men, Josh Garrels. um, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think who else. Um, Just a lot of more folk artists. Uh, Ben Howard with his first record. And so this really opened up that... Uh, folk part of yep. uh, my music listening. Yep. Do you have any thoughts I, on Mumford? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll say they were in. I mean, my list was like fifty albums that I had to trim down <laughs> to ten for this exercise. Uh, they were probably like top fifteen to top twenty, like in in these cuts. Um, then I had this to start record figure or yes, different that one? record right. specifically. Um, then I had to figure out like you you start to like okay. What's a reason that I could cut an album? And when yeah. you run out of reasons and have 10 lists or 10 in the list, you're good. But my one reason that they didn't make my list was they opened me up to folk, but folk came in so strong at that point and mostly died out. Like it was like very fast that there was like a bunch of artists that I was really into and they mostly dissipated. Or they didn't even do the same style anymore. So even like, of Monsters and Men is like not folk. In my like, even though I'm I was opened up to them, like their newer stuff. I don't know. It's not that same style of folk. So yeah. Um. I don't know. I was trying to figure out like the lasting impact of it, and it felt like yeah. it was a shorter impact. That band is still incredible. Like I I've loved their music to this day. And Marcus is doing his own stuff, but like, I don't know, like, huge album for me. But I had to come up with reasons to to trim my list, and that was mine. Is it didn't feel like it had as much of a lasting impact on my yeah. music taste. Um, it was a shorter impact of what it opened. Yeah. Up. So yeah. I think of our to- totally a great reason for not including them. I think of indie music. I probably listen to much more indie folk than you do, I I would say. And so, for me, they still have that impact, even past um, that, like, three-year... But you're right. Folk was, like, such a fad. I mean, think about, like, the Lumineers as well. Yep. At the time, Florence and the Machine was pretty folky. And, yeah, I mean, folk was on the rage for a hot minute, but then... No longer. So this next record, speaking of indie, this next record was the first like true indie record I got into. And it's funny. I remember it was my first year of college. Mm -hmm. I was sitting in the parking lot in my car of Petra, 
which is the church Andrew went to growing up. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking on the phone with my girlfriend at the time, who is now my my wife. <laughs> and she, I was talking to her, and I don't think I had, she had a gift card or something, an iTunes gift card. And I didn't have the money. And she wasn't really, like, buying music or whatever. And I was like, I want to get this album so badly. Can I please have your gift card? And I'll, like, pay you back when I get the money. Mm -hmm. And she very graciously said yes. And this... Her yes changed my music listening Mm. forever. This, to me, is that second beautiful letdown beautiful letdown opened me up to rock and helped me fall in love with music overall um this record opened me up to the indie world and helped me fall in love with that and i'm guessing again based on that context you can probably guess what it is but you might not be there's two albums i'm thinking of oh well i know one album that i'm assuming is on here and i can't remember what year that is do you want me? I like. I feel like I'm gonna get it wrong. As That's far okay. As where it's at. So my guess is Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell. No, but okay. Can I make a backup? That is guess? coming. But I don't know yes. which album. Um, I'm guessing Bon Iver. It's got to be Bon Iver something, right? No, but he might be coming <laughs> up at some shoot. point too. Okay, it, it is. No, I don't know. I mean, Able Bodies. Buy from Able Indian Lakes. I should have known. So, Able Bodies still rock, mm-hmm. but a very different type of rock than I had ever listened to. And he uh, was, Joey was signed to Triple Crown at the time. And Triple Crown was the biggest, not the biggest, I don't want to say the biggest, but the in my music world, the biggest and best indie label. So getting into From Indian Lakes was also getting into like the bands on that label, like Foxing, eventually Caspian. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of other incredible artists that I've grown to like. Oso Oso, I think, was on Triple Crown. Um, and this record was huge for that. It also um, it took the weirdness of Me Without You but did it in a much like cleaner way. Mm-hmm. It, honestly, it's almost like this record should have come in between The Beautiful Letdown and Brother Sister for me in terms yeah. of the progression. But um, I'm glad it came when it did. Yep. Joey, uh, his voice wasn't as, I would say, masculine maybe yeah. as many like uh, male vocalist I was listening to at the time and he uh, really showed a different vocal dynamic lyrically he was extremely vulnerable mm-hmm. and almost like not emo but like very honest and uh, yeah just would share like who he was and this record, I mean, I would say really opened up all the indie stuff I listen to today was mm-hmm. through getting into this record. Mm-hmm. Do you have any um, from no, Indian Lakes no, thoughts? We'll, we'll move on. 
So Andrew guessed the next band or next artist. It is Carrie and Lowell, uh, the album Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I hated this record when it came out. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. Yeah. I was working in uh, at a uh, farmer's market near Westchester where my mom and aunt, both Andrew's parents went to college. Mm-hmm. This this place was two hours away from where I went to school. Mm-hmm. And I had to drive at... I had to leave my, my dorm room at 5 a.m. I would get back at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. absolutely pooped. And have to get up at 5 a.m. the next morning on Sunday to do it again. Mm-hmm. And I listened to this record. I listened to the new Matt Kearney record at the time, Just Kids. And I think another record, and I just grew to hate those records because I absolutely hated that experience. Mm-hmm. But um, eventually I listened to this record again with my wife, Tori, when we were dating on the 4th of July, ironically enough, we a... went to Maine and like just spent the day in this beautiful coastal town and listened to this record and it just like clicked. I think a part of its influence was this very thing, helping me realize how music is so tied to your experiences Mm-hmm. Um, you almost can't like share your thoughts on an album without the feelings attached to it like they're mm-hmm. so tightly connected and music is so much more complicated than just the music itself like we're human and who, who we are and what we're going through like yep. deeply has an impact on that as well but it also showed me on a more practical level well let's just go to the Christian part Yeah, that like you don't have to sound like what the Christian music world yeah. wants you to sound like to, to uh, be a Christian I think yes. these lyrics are some of the most real and honest and complex and nuanced uh, lyrics because that's who we are as people we're not cookie cutter we're not generic we're not easy to pin down which i think so much of christian music tries to make us out to be um and then just on a musical level um this record showed me you can make extremely complex music with an acoustic guitar yeah like what he does on the acoustic is breathtaking on this album. Like, he's able to cause so much intrigue and give me so much awe just from his acoustic, and then also added on to that his production. I'll talk later about a record that had more influence on my view of production, but his yep. production on this is next level. Yep. Um, and it's the first record, which another record I'll talk about in this way too, but I think it's the first record on my list too that is extremely cohesive yeah. from front to back. 
the production and songwriting ties everything together so mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anything you want to talk about with our boy Sufjan? Uh, not really. I love that album. It is not on my list. I still feel like my love for that album could be increased tenfold, but I really love it. But I don't know. There's there's a part of me that just always feels like I'm playing catch up with Sufjan and missing the gravity of of how good his albums sometimes are, um, and that's probably the the textbook example I would use. Um, but I know that album. I'll just say like I huge for you. There's a few other of my close friends that like that might be their favorite album of all time. Like yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's a, a, stu- a student asked me, like, what's the best album of all time? And I was like, well, you can't really answer that question. But it's Sufjan. But if I had to, I would say Carrie and Lowell by Sufjan yeah. Stevens. Like, and some people are going to listen to this record and be like, how the hell could you say that? Yeah. But like you said, you're, you're, those friends you have are going to be like, duh. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. And the cover art, uh, everything about it. All right. Uh, My next record is one that Andrew has heard me talk about a lot. And it is Peripheral Vision by Turnover. Um, This record, I mean, it definitely is a huge mark in my music listening journey. Uh, for those who don't know, it is my favorite album of all time. Um, it is so cohesive, so straightforward, so bright, so catchy, so beautiful. The lyrics are devastatingly sad. Not dev- Sorry, I'm not going to say that. Carrie and Lowell's lyrics are devastatingly sad. These lyrics are uh, heartbreaking on their own level. Um, but... I think the biggest um, takeaway for me on this record is just how bright electrics specifically can be and then how tight and consistent drumming can be. And those two main things have, like, really influenced my music taste. So, like, for instance, Andrew and I just did a episode on Daywave. Daywave for me, like, a huge like reason why I love Daywave is peripheral vision like really tight consistent drums really bright guitars mm-hmm. like that's a, a lot of the alternative music I listen to alternative indie stuff like that's what I want I just want bright guitars and yep. I want like really straightforward drum beats yep. and so yeah um, I don't know if there's much else to say about this in terms of its influence um it yeah it's just incredible i've talked about it before and i'll talk about it again that's kind of also why i don't feel like talking about it because i will um next up andrew called this artist out before bonnie vare and the record is 22 a million in terms of its role it completely changed the way I view production. Yeah. Like, I did not know what production could do until I listened to this record. Like, every single song is its own class yep. on 
what you can how you can produce yep. music um and it's a record that for me the first time i heard it it wasn't like the Sufjan, I don't like it. It was like the, I have no idea what the hell is going on. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so hard for me to get it. And then one day, it just clicked. And I was, and I've been in love ever since. Yep. Um, I would say the only song my first time through that got my attention was the last track. Not that got my attention that I that I liked was the last track because it reminded me of uh, these cartoons I used to watch at my grandma's when I was like five years old in Pennsylvania. Such a weird <laughs> comment, but he he has this really classic feel on a lot mm-hmm. of these songs, but he does it in the most like modern type of way. I yep. would say. Yep. Um, yeah. And then I think lyrically pairing him up with Me Without You and the sense of like, just like I said, how Me Without You had lyrics, we have no idea what they're saying. Mm-hmm. He took that to like a whole nother level yes. Yes. for me. So almost to the point where I'm not going to say like lyrics don't matter because obviously they do. But listening to this record showed me you don't have to, like, know what is going on at all to enjoy an album in terms of the lyrics. Yep. Yep. Any Bonnie Iver statements for you? Yes. So in our list of 10 albums, Bonnie Iver is 11. Um, On my (laughs) list. Which record? This one? Yes. Sorry. 22 a million. Because chronologically, I was having such a hard time. Um, I actually don't have anything that new. Um, my newest yeah. album is 2014. Um, oh, wow. Similar reasons to you, but like I'm way far back. So I feel like I'm missing parts of that, but I really feel like, I don't know, I really feel like albums that felt more impactful and I've been able to judge the impact happened before. Where yeah. that album, I agree about production. I even feel like that was the album... That like I'd listened to Bonnie Bear before, but that was the album where I was like, okay guys, but like Bonnie Bear. Like <laughs> I don't I don't know. I felt like at times Bonnie Bear was actually hyped up by indie people almost too much. And I know that might offend people, but I felt like Bonnie Bear was excellent and so good at what he did. But that album was actually the for me the album that I was like but like are we talking enough about Bonnie Bear? Like it it's yeah. so deserving of all the accolades and it's also the album that he kind of changed himself entirely. Oh yeah. I feel like definitely. That and I I now are like like new Bonnie Bear, but like push the industry itself. I mean, he's always pushed the industry. But those albums feel like everyone you mentioned production. Everyone's trying to do Bonnie Bear's production that he now has on newer stuff. Like that's that's the gold standard for indie. Well, and he for like, like exactly what you're saying for indie music, he revolutionized like Auto Tune, for instance. Yes. Like yeah. Auto Tune was something that people in the indie world would spit on. Yes. As 
the most generic and overproduced and dumb thing and he found a way to make auto-tune raw yeah it's funny (laughs) like he took something that was viewed as too perfectionist and made it in imperfection in its own way which is like mind-blowing yep it's crazy that yep. I, for the first time, I've been able to process that. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The last right. record I have, mm-hmm. yep, last record is "Everybody Works" by Jay Sum. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is on my list is for a lot of different reasons. I would say, as you you would notice if you're looking at my list as a whole, which nobody is. Uh, it bookends with Sarah Groves as the only female artist. Mm-hmm. I grew up not listening to a lot of female dom- dominated music. Mm-hmm. Um, I more recently, over the past four to five years, have listened to way more mm-hmm. uh, female vocalists and female musicians. Yep. And Jay Sum is a big part of that. Also, with her. She's the first artist that I would say I got into that was um, more like bedroom pop indie, yep. which, or to categorize that in a different way, like true DIY. Yeah. Like, she's the first DIY artist that I, like, fell in love with, yep. where I'm pretty sure she made the entire record in her bedroom. And... It doesn't sound like people are going to be turned off by this record because of it. It mm-hmm. doesn't sound like it's wicked expensively put together. Yep. Um, it sounds a bit more raw, but within that rawness is this beauty and uh, this, these details and intricacies that I mm-hmm. think are incredible. And then also just... In, the music is indie in the sense not just in the way it's produced or recorded but also in the way she plays music I mean she does weird it's similar to Bon Iver, but completely different she does things not standard not normal and after I mean I'm only growing more and more in that way and a lot of it is because of a record like Everybody Works, yeah. um, which is still finds a way to be beautiful and catchy and captivating despite its uniqueness and yep. uh, weirdness. Yep. So, yeah, yep. that's it. I'm so looking forward to you sharing because my yep. voice is getting tired. <laughs> um, but also because I'm really, I'm really intrigued by what your list is yep. going to be. Yeah. All right, well, I'll jump in here. Great list, Nate. I feel um, there's definitely one album on this list that I feel is like I wish wasn't, but hey, it's part of the part of the story, so it's there. But yeah. like all of your albums are so good, and that's where I, I look at this and I go like, I definitely agree with what you said earlier on in the sense of like most influential does not mean best. And mm-hmm. I would argue that for half the artists on this list, they're not their best albums. They were mm-hmm. just the ones that were most influential for me. 
I am going to do an honorable mention only because I couldn't figure out how to tell the story of Andrew Jensen's music taste um, in 10 albums. So my honorable mention takes 100 albums out of competition. I don't know if that makes (laughs) sense. So um, similar to Nate, I grew up uh, Christian as well. And um, at least for me, um, didn't listen to a lot of secular music except what my parents would have showed me, um, which was like... Celine Dion, Barry Manilow, like, a bunch of those types of artists. But I grew up on, like, Michael W. Smith, Twyla Paris, Sandy Patty, like, I don't know, like, Christian pop. Um, And the first time I heard Christian music and I was like, this sounds awesome and makes me want to play this was my honorable mention, which is Delirious, um, is the band Mm, and their album World Service. That album made me want to play worship music, which was historically, in my opinion, very boring. But (laughs) Delirious, like anyone who plays music, like Delirious basically, and this is oversimplifying, but just for anyone who doesn't know, they were like, if you two wrote specifically worship songs, um, yeah. they sounded like you two, like straight up. They were probably as close to a cover band as possible. And as much as you two is very obviously a Christian band, very outspoken that way, um, most churches weren't doing you two songs, but some churches did some delirious songs. And not every song, and I wouldn't say every song was written for church, but that album. And the way that Stoogie, their guitarist, played the guitar was hugely inspirational to me. But that opened up this sphere of music, which is worship music, praise and worship, that I played for years and years and years. But I don't really listen to that anymore. And so it it's like this whole style that I was hugely into and albums could have fit in here but it's like its own musical journey that I'm just going to leave that as like an honorable mention that whole journey um, and if you want to know some albums that were big from that um, uh, part of my life or that that um, time I'm more than willing to share that later but that, I'll just tee that up with Delirious um, it also got me playing electric guitar like straight up that that album so um that was huge but the first album not the first album that i bought uh with my own money but the first album that i bought and was like this album is awesome and makes me feel like a little rebellious for my parents was the beautiful let down by switchfoot so that Very is nice. the first one on this. Um, I will say, and I just need to preface this, because of my upbringing and, like, I'll just say, my parents listened to every album we bought before we could buy it. They previewed it. It was this whole thing. Um, we have talked about it. Not not a big fan of it. Uh, uh, whatever. That's its own thing. But that means that just there's this weird part of my childhood where I was finding albums 
later than I should have because <laughs> I maybe had to get sneaky and like and basically find it how to get music without my parents listening to it um, or there were just albums that I found in awkward stages so um, the beautiful letdown's a little bit more straightforward but I just wanted to say like there's some albums that might not be the album you expect from the band you expect just because I might have found them in weird orders um, but beautiful letdown was like Nate touched on 90% of what I would touch on which is Switchfoot was a Christian band but they basically immediately were very especially at that album were very radio friendly for secular music like they weren't just this like oh yeah we only do Christian music and like all our music is talking about Jesus like like I just heard someone talking about Dare You to Move not that long ago and they're like there's really like even though they use words like salvation and redemption and stuff like that in it they're like there's nothing in this that makes you think it's like a christian like it could be written by a secular artist an atheist whatever like it's so like christian adjacent but it's also so disconnected that like for a christian kid it was used to everything being god jesus all that stuff this album was like really cool and I was allowed to get it, which was, like, a big win for Andrew Jensen because anything that wasn't, like, super, super Christian um, or, like, super, super old wasn't really in the cards usually. So um, so I was very happy about that album. Huge album for me. Also, it's funny when you go back to listen to music. This album was heavy for me. Yeah. Like... Like, go listen to it now. It probably isn't that heavy for people. But same way that, like, Delirious's World Service was actually heavy as well. Like, that was not a style my parents didn't listen to rock or even rock adjacent. Like, I didn't even really grow up with much of the Beatles. Like, like the standard, like, hey, they're not really that heavy, but they were at one point. Like, the heaviest stuff I got was maybe like a Michael W. Smith song that he went a little harder on. Like it really, or probably Stephen Curry Shotman or something. I don't know. Yeah. But like, um, this album was heavy and like, uh, meant to live is heavy. Like it's still a bit heavy, but it's funny how I still view this album as a lot heavier than it actually is. Every time I go back, I'm like, Oh, it's not near as heavy as I remembered it. All right. That album came out in 2003, but I found an album from 2002 after after it. <laughs> this is the album uh, that I feel probably a little bit weird is on here, but it tells the story. It is the album, the self-titled album by the band Cutlass, named Cutlass. <laughs> so, don't like Cutlass anymore. Just throw it out there. They haven't been good since uh, this album came out in 2002. They haven't been good since maybe 2010, maybe. Um I feel like I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they made it that far being good. But this album, the best way I can put it is it's actually like a heavier Creed album. And even what the vocalist does, he keeps doing the Scott Stapp um, sound. And it's not his natural voice. Like you can actually listen to later Cutlass stuff and be like, Dude, he was just fully trying to sound like Creed, which a lot of bands were at that point. But that album 
was and still probably is by a lot of metrics heavy it was the first like heavy rock album there was some screaming in it not maybe the same it's probably actually yelling more than screaming by definition but i remember listening to that album and being like dude i like rock and like I only had a few people I could talk about that album with because most of my friends weren't listening to stuff that heavy. And if I tried to show them that, they're like, ugh, it's too heavy. And so that made me feel cool because it's like I found something. There's this niche of, like, rock that I really liked. And it opened up this whole world of heavy rock music. It got me into bands like Skillet um, for a time. Um thousand for crutch um trying to think other big bands um but like yeah just like heavier christian rock again still christian but um but heavy so nate i'm assuming you didn't see that album coming but maybe you did like yeah um no i was expecting cutlass i was expecting less cutlass yeah it's um, and it's like I was expecting you to cut them <laughs> from your list. When you said this, this uh, like exercise, it was annoying because the first album that popped in my head was genuinely this one. Was like <laughs> shoot, and so like part of me really like wanted to not technically tell the story and do like yeah. skillets collide there or something. Yep. Um But then I was like, okay, I just have to do it. And like, is it their best album? No. Um, is it their worst album? I wish I could say that, but they have like ten worse albums by now, probably. Um, but like, it's it's not a strong album compared to the rest of my list. But it's part of the Andrew Jensen story, so that's what yeah. you're getting. Um, there you go. Now, this was the first album that I snuck behind my parents' back and got. <gasps> oh um, no! Now, uh, I. Th- yeah, there, there was. Uh, I don't want to go too, too much into it. But the reason I snuck behind my parents' back is I heard some of this album and I was like, "Ooh, I really like these songs, but they're not Christian, and I can't get this album. There's no way. Like, they can't even preview it. They would like listen to it at the Christian bookstore that we would like buy our CDs. So like, this album was not there. They could not listen to this album. So it was gonna be a big no." It's the album Hybrid Theory by I the band Linkin Park. I knew it was going to be Linkin Park. Now, I have an album from 2003 and an album from 2002 in here. This is from 2000, but this is where it's awkward because <laughs> I had to find this album. I might have found this a year or two before, but it definitely was the after cut list that like, I was like so much in rock and heavier stuff. Um, and all these bands, like, I mean, I mentioned Thousand for Crutch, who was just, like, so inspired by Linkin Park. And, and I mean, who wasn't at that time if in that space? But, like, I needed this album. I, now, Hybrid Theory and, um, um, oh, gosh, now I'm going to totally blank. Their next album, um, oh, my gosh, this is really bad. Um, oh my Meteora, goodness. I got yeah. it. Ugh. Um, I snuck both of those at the same time, but Hybrid Theory 
was of the two I liked Hybrid Theory more plus I knew the songs from Hybrid Theory before I even got it like I knew One Step Closer I knew In the End um, I think I knew a few others maybe but um, but yeah those were yeah that one was huge Linkin Park it's weird because I almost didn't want to put them here I actually one of their later albums um, uh, Living Things um, is actually hugely influential for me later on. That album was like 2012, maybe it came out, and like they have changed. They had changed. I don't know if they're still technically a band, but they had changed so many times their style and really progressed quite a bit. And that album was hugely influential, but I didn't want to double up the same band, so uh, I I stuck with Hybrid Theory. But first, secular album I had, and uh, that that's big for me. So, so you knew this album was coming. Any other notes you have about this, Nate? Um, yeah, I think I, my question for you is, so as people noticed probably, my list... You don't have to answer this. I guess I'm mm-hmm. just, like, curious. So my list didn't have any rap on it. Yeah. I've never, real like, really gotten into rap. There's, yeah. I made a list the other day. There's, like, around, like, seven rap albums I really like. Yeah. When there's probably, like, hundreds in, like, rock or in sure. folk or in whatever. Yep. And so... Obviously, I don't have a rap album on my list. And there's only, like, one country album yep. I like, which I mentioned earlier. Ha- d- I'm wondering if Linkin Park at all opened up, like, rap for you on any level. Because I know you don't listen so, to a lot of rap, but yeah. I, you might listen to more than I do. I don't know. But, yeah. It opened up more than rap. It opened up a bit for rap, for sure. There's this band, 38th Parallel. This is a deep cut, but they were basically the Christian Linkin Park at that point, and I got really into them. Um, Anyone who did rap and, like, hard rock like this, I was into at some point around there. So it really opened up that very specific style. I wouldn't say it opened up rap as a whole too, too much. Um, I probably have a few more than seven rap albums that I really like, but not a ton more. Um what it actually opened up for me more was this world of secular rock music that I was not allowed into. Um, yeah. And even stuff like Creed, I found out after Linkin Park. Like, I'd heard the name, but, like, even though Creed, by all terms, should have been, like, allowed in a Christian household, I don't know. Maybe I didn't ask or didn't expect, like, I don't know. That opened up, like, I had a bunch of... Um, other artists here like Evanescence was opened yep. up because of Linkin Park um, Breaking Benjamin um, Chevelle I mean you name it like more secular rock was opened up because of Linkin Park for me so that's actually how I view it opening stuff up more than rap for myself so. yeah alright moving forward um, the 2005, which again, this is just weird how this all works, but the album Hot Fuss by The Killers, um, Mm. this was probably the first, like, I had gone really hard into rock, 
And the killer's hot fuss would have been their rock, but it would have been pretty tame for some of the stuff I was listening to at that point. But the album, front to back, one of the most solid records. Like, it's so good. It was their debut album. I have no clue how they pulled it off. That kind of opened me up to, like, I don't know what, what style exactly, but, like, a lot more, like, British rock, which I know it should not be the case. Like, the Killers are not British rock, but they opened up that style. The Killers actually, after I got really into the Killers, I got more into U2, which is totally backwards. Um <laughs> I got into, like, Modest Mouse a little bit. I'm trying to think when that was all happening. But, like, there's a lot of stuff that was, like, somewhat adjacent to it. But it's just, like, really unique rock that I wouldn't usually find um, outside of that. So um, that album was just huge for me. It. I also think it was probably the album that I remember, like, going... Because they had, like, that album. Like, that was it. And going, like, there is only one album by this band. And I'm just going to listen to this nonstop until they put something else out. Like, it, it was very much like, this is all I have, but I'll just keep listening until they put something out. Um, so, I love that album. Um, it was also cool because my worship leader at that point, the main worship leader, um, when I was listening to this, he was like... Uh, he might have actually introduced me to it, but he was a huge Killers fan, and the Killers aren't Christian, and so it was really cool for me to see like someone in the church, like a worship leader, someone who really knows music, and was like, "Dude, this album is inspiring me to be a better Christian musician," um, and so that was kind of a cool memory I have is just pushing myself. Like, actually, that album probably more than anything helped me realize that I could take secular influence and put it into Christian music. Um, so, yeah. All right, next one up. Nate probably knows this album is here. Um, but is the album Cities by yeah. Amberlynn. Um, still my favorite Amberlynn album. This album, I think, was just, like... I'd been really into, like, Christian punk rock. Um, so, like... Reliant K, MXPX, you even get your, like, more obscure, like, uh, Stellar Cart, um, maybe less obscure, but still less popular, Hawk Nelson, um, all of that stuff was, like, kind of around this time. But Amberlynn on Cities basically did this thing where they had some of the fast-paced stuff that you'd expect in punk, but it is not a punk record. It's just a rock album. And it's heavy in all the right places, and it's unique and soft in these other places. There's the song Finn is one of my all-time favorite songs, um, one of the best closing tracks, if not, in my opinion, it's probably the best closing track ever. Um, but I think there was just something so special about that album that felt like it opened up this, like, okay... It's not as heavy as some of the heavier stuff I'd listened to, but it's not punk. It's this weird in-between that opened up so many other bands in that sphere, but they're actually the band that unlocked Tooth and Nail for me. Mm. So 
I wasn't listening to Tooth and Nail before Amberlynn. Like, purposefully. I had no clue about record labels. Like, um, before that, they were the band that I was like, oh, Tooth and Nail. Okay, yep, this is it. Now, it's backwards from what you'd expect, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Nate, what are your thoughts on this album? You knew it was coming. Yeah, so when you said you knew meant or not meant to live, the beautiful letdown was coming. Yeah. And you're like, I have an album. I was like, yeah, I think I have one for you too. I was talking about yeah. Cities. I actually wasn't expecting yeah. the beautiful letdown to be on your list, okay. but Cities was the record I was thinking of. Yeah. It's interesting because I I told Amy of this list, Amberlynn Cities is the one that I have the hardest time saying what it the effect that it had. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Because it's in the short range where I was just learning all this new stuff and there's multiple albums in the same range of that coming out. So it's hard for me to realize the impact, but that was like, I don't know. It was just such a huge album for me. And I think opened me up to tooth and nail. Um, just I don't know just in general how you can be hard and soft at the same time and do both really well um, was excellent alright the album that comes after this is one that you're probably not expecting and it's backwards from 99.9% of people who would have this on their list it is a 2006 album from the band Under Oath Define the Great Line so, I had heard one or two album or songs from their Only Chasing Safety, from Tooth and Nail compilation stuff. But at that point, I did not listen to metal. And I still, everyone was like, oh, Under Oath. I literally had people telling me, and we just talked about how they're not, uh, their Only Chasing Safety is not that heavy. Literally, people like, do you want to listen to the heaviest band? like alive it was like that's how people talked about this around me fully wrong they were just idiots because it was way heavier stuff at that point too but that's how the album was sold for that and i listened to one or two songs and i was like that is heavy wow that's a a bit much for andrew (laughs) my one friend really close friend worked at a christian uh music store christian bookstore and her co-worker really loved Under Oath. Her co-worker also had a crush on her. So he wanted her to like Under Oath. So he bought her to find the great line, gave it to her, and was like, hey, listen to this album. I love it. My friend did not like this guy. Um, had, I guess, already told this guy, like, not interested, but whatever. She now has this album she had no interest in. She didn't listen to rock at all. Like, this would have been, like, like she listened to country, so it's like, would you rather listen to Rascal Flats or Under Oath was, like, the choice she had. It wasn't, wasn't in her wheelhouse, but she knew I liked rock, and she's like, do you want this album? And I was like... Sure, I've heard of Under Oath. They are kind of insane. I've heard a little bit. But yeah, let me try it. Now, Define the Great Line is way heavier than their Only Chasing Safety. Yeah. Like, significantly heavier. So I was listening to it, assuming that that's what all Under Oath 
really was that like the one or two songs I'd heard were soft for them but everything else is it's really heavy I got so into that album that was Under Oath I had to go backwards to find their only chasing safety and then I went backwards again to the changing of times or whatever and I was like well, this is weird because it's way heavier um, than anything they had before but um, but yeah it's like that album was the album that got me into metal and similar to Nate for the next however many years after that album came out metal was my number one um, like I could do hard rock but metal was like hey man I'll, I'll just find all these metal bands listen to them love them all didn't care um, and Under Oath was my favorite metal band for a while that opened me up to even local band like August Burns Red um, or like I mean Demon Hunter was actually another big one there the Triptych album was probably the second metal album I really got into um, I'm trying to think I mean so many metal um, albums including like Memphis May Fire who was historically when they put out Challenger it was like that's my favorite metal album of all time they're not on the list this is the only real metal album I have but it opened up this huge list of metal stuff um, but there's just too many albums to get through so that was Under Oath to Find the Great Line Nate any thoughts as far as that it's backwards but yeah, yeah when I asked if their Only Chasing Safety was on your list I was wondering if it was to find the Great Line yeah but I was yeah. I'd probably bet money that it was one of the two. Like, I could yeah. almost guarantee one of the two would you be knew on your it was list. Under I didn't know yeah. which one, though. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I would say most people, it would have been only chasing safety. Not this guy. So I had gone pretty hard into rock at this point. Basically, the Killers were some of the only people who weren't rock or worship that I was listening to. And there was this band that I'd heard one or two songs from and I liked, but they were pretty chill. And then they put out this album called Viva La Vida. And I go, is Coldplay the best not, like, heavy band out there? That is a perfect album. It is also, like, basically the earliest sign to me of finding indie music. Because, like, I don't think The Killers opened me up to that that much like maybe the smallest sense switchfoot a little bit but everything else on this list doesn't open anything up to indie coldplay was the first time i could listen to a chiller album and feel like it was so full and so cool and like i don't know i just i found so much inspiration i mean so many christians found inspiration from coldplay it wasn't unique but like I don't know, Coldplay, still when I'm pressed by certain people, like, what's, like, one of your favorite bands or favorite band? Coldplay comes out of my mouth at times. Like, they are just that good. And I'd heard Clocks before um, Viva La Vida came out. I'd liked that song. I'd even heard The Scientist uh, before, liked that. I think I'd heard Yellow, but I can't even guarantee that I had. But that album was huge i mean yeah 
Love that album. Uh, Nate, you hate Coldplay, right? That's why they're not in. I don't hate Coldplay, but kidding. that is one of the records I would say that you love that I still haven't. Like, I might have listened to it all the way through back in the day, mm-hmm. but I can't guarantee I've listened to it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a, uh, a, I'm not, I'm on, I probably wouldn't even call myself a Coldplay fan overall, but the, yeah. uh, what's the one called? Milo. Milo Zoloto or. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's yep. my, that's my favorite Coldplay. Um, Which yeah. I might in some ways, in some ways agree about that. We're talking, I guess, inspirational. Um, at a point, I think that's Amy's favorite Coldplay album as well, my wife. But um, Viva La Vida was like definitely the more inspirational. Yeah. And by that point, I was along for the ride. And so obviously loved the next album. Even though when that album came out, a lot of Coldplay fans did not love Milo Zoloto. It was way too poppy Yeah. Um, for them. Even... As happens, there's a lot of people who didn't like Viva La Vida. It was too loud. Like, it was way less. They were very acoustic. Um, yeah, they were just much more chill than before that album. Um, but All right. So, in 2009, an album came out that was the first time that I remember going, this album is my all-time favorite album. And mm. might never be beaten. And that is the album Innocence and Instinct by Red. Yep. Classic. I learned every single song on guitar. Red became my favorite band. Um, and as much as End of Silence could have been on here because they were my introduction to Red, that album was and still is perfection. It really, it's a is as cohesive as a rock album ever gets. It's so perfectly heavy with all the symphonic elements that Red added. It's like, I mean, it is kind of a perfect rock album. Um, I mean, I, I still to this date feel like I hold it in very high regard. I could probably very easily make an argument for why it's my favorite rock album of all time um i it's a whole nother story of me when my wife and i were just friends me talking about the album after this out al- album came out that red put out that like their next album that i was saying i was more excited for that than my wedding day and uh, <laughs> my wife uh, likes to remind me of that moment uh, as often as possible because uh, it's a stupid thing to say to someone that you might marry down the road. You know, you never know. <laughs> and uh, stuff. But I was just head over heels for Red. I don't think there's any of my friends, literally any of my friends, who didn't know Red was my favorite band. Like, like I was preaching the good word about Red. Um, even though all my friends were like, hey, we're here too. I'm like, but you're not, man. Like, I am... I am on another level <laughs> this band. So I yeah, I don't know. That that album just I mean also at that point I was like 
in and out of trying to start a bunch of bands, do a bunch of bands. And when that album came out, I was like, this is the band I want to be in. I mean, mm. obviously I would have taken specifically that band, but like all of the stuff I was writing, all of the bands I was trying to start, they all had to sound like Red. Like that was that was the perfect band and everything should sound like them. So All right, that was 2009. Um 2011 an album came out that I did not would not normally have found. This is where I was still very much in rock, did quite a bit of worship music at this point this is a christian artist that did really unique stuff that i thought they were just a ccm band for a bit but they put out this album that i was like this is not ccm and it is incredible and probably the first introduction to really unique indie uh indie folksy stuff which is gunger's album ghosts upon the earth um, Gunger had put out a bunch of worship stuff before himself um, under like Michael Gunger band he had put out an album named Gunger it's him and his wife and their band um, which um, that first album they put out was kind of very worshipful and stuff this album is based on a C.S. Lewis novel it's very vague Christianity it's much more about creation, like the creation of um, life and um, and just this journey of life. It's called Ghosts Upon the Earth, but it's got a lot of nature imagery in it. It is beautiful lyrically, so complex musically, and kind of touches on everything that could blow my mind in one album while not being like crazy at every single turn but like that album I loved it so much and it pulled me kind of back to some softer stuff again because I was in so much rock and metal at that point that uh, I wasn't usually listening to a softer album like Gunger Um, Gunger this album got me really into the Civil Wars which is another, like, their, like, um, Barton Hollow album was another huge album for me, but that was kind of spawned by Gunger's Ghost Upon the Earth. Um, I know I mentioned this in my top ten of the decade list when we did that. I know I am, like, abnormally high on this record. Nate, have you ever listened to this record? So, with, uh, you're talking about Ghost Upon the Earth? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I basically stopped when they did the uh, the three records Yep, that were okay. all together. I couldn't remember how in you were on Gunger. Uh, I listened to the record after this, and that was my last record for them. But yep. Ghost, for me, was not... I liked the one with Beautiful Things yep. better. Mm-hmm. I think Ghost, for me, was a little too weird at the time. Yeah. Um but no, now now looking back I'd probably like Ghost better yeah. cuz yeah. my music taste has like changed to be yeah. more that style. So that album kind of primed me for this next album to solidify indie as king um and the end of metal. So mm. I have a different album and I'm just going to give um so this is the final one I have. 
I have the 2014 album Absent Sounds ah. uh, from Indian Lakes. Now, I was so torn on whether I say Able Bodies or Absent Sounds, and here's how I made my decision for better or worse. Able Bodies was too much like old Andrew. It was the gateway for me, but it was it was still so heavy compared to what From Indian Lakes is that like it was a great introduction and I loved that album. I really did. Um and still do. But Absent Sounds was the first album that I remember going like it is way softer and way more technical and like he's not yelling everything and I remember sitting in my bedroom with you you got in like you were at college not that far away from my house you came over maybe the night it came out or soon after it came out we sat on my bed and we just listened straight through the album it's one of my first memories of doing that straight through listen um, with you which really I mean if we're talking lasting impact it's what started this podcast yeah um from indian lakes we talk about on the podcast way too much my wife probably hates (laughs) that we talk about from indian lakes this much on the podcast um because there's so many other bands that we could talk about but i think that that's like such like the core of this podcast and just my earliest indie influence is the same way you said that able bodies kind of started that for you I think Able Bodies probably started it for me, but I think the lasting impact was Absent Sounds being an album that I fell in love with because that was not normal. It would have been more normal that I could fall in love with Able Bodies. Like, that's still an album that was in the realm of, like, I could like that. Um, Absent Sounds would not have been something I would have normally liked, and that solidified, like, hey, I really like soft, chill, technically incredible music that no one's talking about. Like, it's indie. It is way under the radar compared to what I feel like it should be. And that album has opened up, I think, so many avenues of sound. And I feel like that started the template of what Andrew likes in indie music. It's like mm. really spacey, really ambient, really, um, really groovy. Um, great melodies, awesome falsettos, um, a great vocalist who's fully in control, who does some really unique stuff with chord progressions, time signatures, all that stuff. It's like all in that album. And similarly, I don't think it's from Indian Lake's best album, but I think that it's the one that solidified my taste in indie and I think I can draw a lot of lines from albums that I love now back to that album um, and I could go further back but I'll show some love to Absent Sounds um, over Able Bodies since you already touched on that so um, that's the end of my list it ends in 2014 which is pretty old and and there's so many albums since then that have been wildly influential but I don't know. Like, a lot of this is, like, my middle school, high school, and I really feel like a lot of my music tastes happened a lot then, and now it's, like, a slower process, and I don't 
know the long-term impact on so many of these albums mm. so um yeah that's it anything you want to say about any of this it's been a long episode so we'll mm. wrap it up i think the only thing i'll say is i'm just like really interested to do this well pro- i mean the podcast won't be around at this point but to do this in like another like 20 years like a long yeah. time from now yeah. and see how see where things have changed yes and stuff but yeah by then 20 years all like have gone through listening to a bunch of kid music and hopefully gotten out of that so. yeah um yeah it'll just be like my favorite song was from this like person who did a bunch of kids like Whoever the new Wiggles will be, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna hit a top ten spot. But um, dude, this was fun. Yeah, it was. We have like, as friends, been on this journey, musical journey, about since the beginning. Like mm. we were talking, like Switchfoot, like like that was your second album chronologically. That was my first, like, and so it's really cool to like hear you spell it out a lot more specifically and there might be albums that we knew were gonna show up because we've been listening to music together we showed each other some of these albums like it's uh it's been a fun journey that's like the root of this podcast so hopefully this was fun for you guys to listen to maybe there's some albums that you knew about and you're like yeah me too that album was awesome or albums you've never heard before that you're like oh maybe i should check it out because they made that album sound pretty cool um so go ahead and do that like nate said we would love to hear your stories this is probably hard to like you could send us your chronological list of 10 albums and we could just read them and kind of try to fill in some blanks but but feel free to like i don't know make a video of it or or make a full-on like blog type uh thing and send it our way uh to listen talk to your friends about this i don't know it's like this is such a cool exercise it's so fun to see like what made nate grimley who grew up listening to sarah reeves with his mom like what brought him to then all of a sudden learn who bonnie Vare is like i mean there's like so many things along the way so it's cool cool to hear all this um so any other notes or thoughts from this episode nate yeah, no, I think just, like, reemphasizing what you said about this is, I mean, if you're listening to this, I hope you enjoyed it, but I think it's more just helpful for us, <laughs> which yeah. I know is, like, a... It's basically just therapy that we went through. Yeah, and it's really fun looking back on, like you said, Andrew, mm-hmm. there was, like, 100 albums or 50 albums, yeah. and it's like, yep. all right, now which ones have actually had the biggest influence, and... Yep. Uh, just being able to reflect on the whole journey and stuff, I think, is really helpful and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. In some ways, I hope this is your first episode because I feel like you like actually get to know Nate and I as people and, and our taste better, and it probably will help moving forward or backwards, depending which way you're going with podcasts. Um help the context of like why we like stuff why we maybe don't like stuff all that so thank you for listening if you haven't had the chance yet to do this go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on whatever 
platform you are on. You can also find us on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at LDLpod. And you can email us at listening at gmail.com. That's probably the best place to send us all your uh, thoughts as far as your own list and all that stuff. Uh, just email us uh, that. But reach out to us. Uh, we love kind of talking music. So, um, yeah, reach out. Let us know uh, what you're listening to. Maybe uh, some episodes we should do in the future. We love uh, love that contact. Um, so, thank you for listening, and have a great day. So, growing up, um, obviously, we both listened to The Beautiful Letdown a lot. And I remember distinctly having some, like, Little League baseball games and driving to them with my dad and playing the song Gone just for the one part where eventually in the the end of the song, I think it's a bridge where he goes going going gone and I would always like when that part came up I would like pretend to swing a bat and then like look pretend like I was looking at it fly off into the distance and I thought it was so funny and so cheeky I would love to say my humor's gone but it was truly never there in the first place